Welcome to Success Fundamentals, hosted by myself, Chris Sykes, and my co-host, Brian Gosek. We are on a mission to seek out some of the most successful people in our network that have been able to define what success means to them so you can draw the map of your own path and take your first steps. We hope you enjoyed today's episode to get one step closer to your success goals. Starting a business is exciting. And one of the fundamentals of starting a business is making sure you have the proper legal structure. But legal structure only takes you so far. You want to make sure that your personal assets are protected. And that's where Corporate Direct comes in. Getting started is easy. First, you tell them about your business or investment. Second, they do a business name check. Third, they file the paperwork. And fourth, you receive the documents and you're official. To get $100 off your business setup, go to successfundamentals.com. Click on the Corporate Direct link. When the information form asks, where did you hear about us? Type in Success Fundamentals and they will take it from there. Corporate Direct, asset protection done right. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to another edition of Success Fundamentals. I am your co-host, Chris Sykes. And I am Brian Goldsack. And today we are joined by Dorian Keekin. Dorian is a tech leader and entrepreneur that founded AIR, or AI Redefined. The company aims at improving the synergy between humans and machines by creating a full loop of continuous learning between them. My goodness, very exciting. And in another life, Dorian co-founded or co-founded the BioWare Montreal Game Studio, helped it grow to 100 plus people and won multiple Game of the Year awards. Dorian, how are you today? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. So, so Dorian, BioWare, now you run your own company, started your own company. So uh, quite an exciting resume you have. Why don't you take us back? Why don't you take us back to where it all started? Where are you from um, and, and what led you into the uh, tech industry? Got it. Got it. Got it. So... I'm a Canadian, but originally a European. I'm born in Sweden. I've lived in many countries, actually. I, I, I lived, spent my childhood in uh, Germany, lived in France, lived in Hungary, in Austria, in England. Uh, my, my father was working at the embassy, so I, I used to just change country every three to five years. That was the norm for me. Uh, and uh, it's interesting. I don't understand the concept of childhood friend, for example, because for me, that my friends were regularly changing. Like, uh, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so that was kind of my background very early. Well, very early one, I would say around the age of 16, 17, I pretty much already knew that I wanted to work in tech and more probably in video game. Uh, back then at the end of the nineties, I used to actually participate in a lot of competition in video games, uh, back in the, uh, in the day I was, uh, I was actually the number two, uh, and current instinct in France. Uh, having played a lot as a fighting game. Uh, and I did a lot of championship of Counter-Strike in its beta version uh, in 1999, uh, 2000. Uh, the, uh, so, you know, if back then you could make money out of being a pro player, I would have probably done it, but you couldn't. <laughs> you know, championship titles would give you just, you know, 500 bucks <laughs> and a few stickers or things like that. Uh, so Absolutely. That's, that's how I ended up going more into video game development, right? Uh, and, and my biggest passion back then, you know, if we 
measure what was success according to Dorian as an early adult or you know end of teenager time would be to to ship just amazing quality games right or, or games that are critically acclaimed or, or that you like dealing and so I would argue that probably uh, the I kind of a big face, but I would say probably the first decade of my life has been set towards kind of making that goal, right? Uh, and so I, I spent some close to two decades in the video game industry. And uh, the most notable one is I spent eight years at Bauer, which is a well-known developer for anything that touches what we call role-playing games, right? Um, and, uh, and, uh, and so I was eight here with them, and uh, I'm mostly known for having, uh, you know, where my biggest contribution was really the Mass Effect series, so Mass Effect 1, Mass Effect 2, Mass Effect 3. I was there at the early days of Mass Effect Andromeda, so we won plenty of that was, you know, my first kind of success criteria, like uh, critical acclaim, game of the year, RPG of the year, those sort of things. Uh, and then in um, uh, 2009, actually in 2008, uh, the co-founder of, uh, of Bioware, uh, we're looking to expand and to create a first studio, right? The first studio was in Edmonton, Alberta, in Canada. Uh, the second one was in Austin, Texas, in the U.S. And they wanted the first studio to be in Canada. Uh, and I already, I was at an inch to create a video game company prior to joining Bauer. But so I did kind of all the pre-work and kind of a business plan. And I kind of tweaked and altered it and was like, you should really create a studio in Montreal. Uh, and, you know, I really believe so because there is some absolutely fantastic talent in video game industry in Montreal. It's actually, Montreal is, is the city in the world that has the highest ratio of video game developer compared to its population, <laughs> right? It's a massive, massive hub. Uh, oh, wow. and, uh, and I love the city also. I mean, uh, this, is, uh, this is where I was part two going to Edmonton. And so there were personal reasons mixed with professional reason. And, uh, and so me and Yannick Roy, who was the other co-founder of the studio, we convinced the, the co-founder to just, yeah, here you go, carte blanche, go create a studio. And so that's what we set up to do. So in 2009, we're like five person. And by 2011, 2012, we're around 120 people, right? Uh, so, uh, and we, we worked on Mass Effect 2, Mass Effect 3, and then the studio drove a lot of Mass Effect Andromeda. So it was uh, quite, quite a bit success. And, and what is interesting is, uh, fast forward to 2014. Um, 2014, I'm the co-founder of a Bar Montreal studio. We've been having massive success with the Mass Effect series, probably Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3, uh, both financially as well as, as critically. Uh, I hired myself more than half of the person of that studio. So, you know, I love them. They're absolutely fantastic people. And despite all of that, my motivation started to go down, which makes absolutely no reason, no sense. Like, like you know, people would love to have that job. So why, yeah. why would I suddenly losing motivation? Hmm. Um, and interestingly, I didn't understand it back then, but uh, I, I had the chance to go on a sabbatical uh, because after seven years as part of uh, Bauer slash Electronic Arts, uh, you could you could basically go on a sabbatical. I think it was two or three months. I don't don't remember exactly. Uh, but what sabbatical do is they give you a lot of time to think, right? <laughs> You're not anymore in the thick of your job. And uh, I, uh, as I was thinking, I I realized that the reason why I was not motivated anymore is not because I was not part of a fantastic studio or doing great thing. It's just that I actually didn't care that much about making games anymore. Like uh, you know. 
basically hitting that success of making critically a king game was like, well, and now what, right? Mm. And more importantly, in 2014, is the, I had a key life event that happened, is my first daughter was born. And what happened with my first daughter being born, and I stopped seeing kind of life as just my life, but it was kind of expanding her life also as well, right? Mm. And then suddenly, uh, thinking about her life, I was like, okay, what what can I do to make her life, you know, the happiest, the longest possible? And uh, and so you start to suddenly care about other things. And in parlor kind of threats facing the next generation, that, you know, you look on the news and like, yeah, that's interesting, but you don't care that much. Let's suddenly take a total other dimension, right? And so I came out of this sabbatical with kind of a following direction is, I need to work on something that will have an impact on, on my daughter's life, a positive impact on my daughter's life, right? Or and generally in the generation to come. So I was not looking anymore for me as a sign of success of basically uh, 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 making great games or have, being critical in the game. For me, the sign of success is can I have a positive impact for future generation, right? And, uh, and in that, I listed five elements back then. Uh, the first one, uh, so five elements that for me are some of the biggest essential threats for the next generation. Uh, human AI alignment, I'll come back to it, was number one. Number two was energy. Number three was uh, uh, water reserve, drinkable water reserve. Number four, waste management. Number five, climate change. Dor, uh, d- yeah. I, I, have, I have a quick question for you. Go ahead. Um, before we deep dive into that. So you... It seems like you found a passion in technology early, and then specific you, you specifically yeah. you went into video games. So, where do you think the entrepreneurial streak came from? Because in that in that world, to be honest, I love growing up. I loved games. I mean that that's pretty much if I could do. Uh, if you looked at my childhood, it's pretty pretty much with sports and video games. That's all I did. Um, and I probably would have went in if I knew that that was like if I knew at that time you could go into uh, industry like that, I probably would have definitely um, dove right in. But you took it, you worked in the field and then you started your own company. Where do you think the entrepreneurial streak came from? Oh, for me, it's, it's very easy. I didn't know I was an entrepreneur in the early days. Not at all. Right. And even when I joined Bio, I was like, I actually love it. I don't mind working for someone else. Right. Until I co-founded that studio and grew it. And I was like, this is what I enjoyed the most doing in all my game years, was building a studio. And, and so that's, that's how, I mean, this is not entrepreneurship. It's more intrapreneurship because you don't have to do the fundraising relationship to investor and that sort of element. Mm-hmm. But building from nothing was the emotion related to it. It just, I deeply enjoyed it. Uh, and it's as simple as that. So having experienced entrepreneurship, I wanted to experience entrepreneurship. Got it. Was it was were your parents entrepreneurs, or you just wanted you just like you said you didn't know and you went into it and then you loved it? Did you see any examples of that or anything like that before you you dove into it? Not really, to be honest. Not really. Uh, my parents, for example, of, you know, working for the embassy, working for a government, so you're working for someone else, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not starting your own element. I had a few people in my surrounded that had a bit of entrepreneurship experience, but I didn't care that much, to be honest. It was really by experiencing it myself that mm-hmm. I realized how much I enjoyed it. 
Got it. Okay. So you left I mean, off. I could I could counter argue that I've been slightly primed by I did a master degree in project management. Okay. And uh, uh, as part of our last year, we needed to build a business plan and present it to investors, right? Uh, and so had a bit ex- experience of doing that at school. So I guess that could put a bit of seed ideas of becoming an entrepreneur. But yeah. I think it's really the entrepreneurship that uh, that convinced me. Got it. Okay. So you had so you had your daughter. Um, then you started thinking about the five overarching issues yep. that the world currently faces. And it sounds like at some point you narrowed the pathway down to the integration of artificial intelligence into yep. and, and, and people. So Absolutely. tell us about that. What, what, what made you choose that? So, so there is uh, two reasons for it. Uh, there is the impact reason. And so l- let me go through that sort of five list. By the way, that, that list, uh, I, I was talking with a few colleagues and friends of mine. They're like, hey, it's a pretty good list, but you should probably add virus or mutation <laughs> or pandemic to the list. And back and you then said, I was like, that'll that's never a happen. Idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never know that. Yeah, that's not going to be real. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I really didn't understand back then. I do now. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, so climate change is an absolute big deal. I won't talk too much about it. Most pe- people are extremely familiar with it. Uh, the only element is the most dramatic impact in the sense of like, uh, we're talking about efficiency, is going to happen at several hundred years. I mean, impact is starting already now. But what I'm saying is this is ultimately a life threat for uh, the, the the generation after my daughter generation, right, if you will. Uh, you know, you, you can live in a Mad Max world during a few hundred years before humanity goes extinct. So it's a bit <laughs> longer. Uh, the water reserve is a bigger deal because uh, by 2025, we'll have depleted a quarter of a drinkable water reserve in the world. I think by 22nd century, uh, uh, we might run out of it, right? Which is an absolute big deal. Like, you know, we humans will not fare well without drinkable water. There are solutions to that, uh, notably, you know, transforming salt water into drinkable water, right? We know how to do that. The problem is this consumes an extremely high quantity of energy, which leads to a second problem, energy. Uh, mm. Energy, I mean, is another one you're probably familiar with. There's two subparts to the energy problem. Uh, the very first one is we need to transition to green energy as like several decades ago, right? Uh, because this is impacting all the other elements, including climate change, right? Mm. Uh, right. And so, you know, nuclear renewable energy. And that's the one that people are the most familiar with because it's a very short term. This is an absolute need there. But even if we're successful at that, which we have to be, uh, we're still consuming more energy than, than what we're capable to generate, right? And it's only going to get worse, which means that by around the mark of 2040 to 2050, we need to figure out another way to generate energy. Otherwise, we kind of screwed, right? Uh, so, mm. I mean, best candidate likely here is fusion. But uh, 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 but anyway, so so that's the energy problem, right? And there are plenty of people who are really tackling that problem uh, right now, which is really good, and we should have more hopefully. And then human AI alignment is is for me an even bigger deal because of the time frame and impact on all of that. So uh, let me explain a bit why why this is such a big deal. Um, the first element is I think 
people in general fail to see, I mean, if I have to say AI as of today, machine learning, is both one of the most underrated and overrated technology all at the same time. Hmm. It's overrated because people see in AI capabilities, impact elements that it doesn't have, right? And people don't understand it, so they try to they start to see things like C3PO or R2D walking around, like, whoa, 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 whoa. We, yeah. <laughs> not even remotely there, right? It's just at the very, very beginning. AI is still incredibly stupid, way more, more, more stupid than an eight-month-old baby, right? Hmm. But the paradigm shift is you're not programming your AIs anymore. They self-learn, right? Mm-hmm. And self-learning is, is a massive one. And when you think about it, there's like three subcomponent to that. You have, uh, think of a computation power of, you know, an artificial intelligence of our brain. Think of it as the algorithm or kind of a brain representation and think then after that of the learning mechanism, right? Computing power, we still, I mean, the human, our brain is still the biggest computing power right now, right? I mean, you can try to mimic it with a shitload of cloud and server, but ultimately my day-to-day computer right now is not capable of the same compute than I am, right? Mm -hmm. But this is only going to last for a few more years, right? Like with absolute certainty, this is something that uh, computer in general will exceed the human in computation capabilities in you know the next five to ten years. That's that's a given. Dorian, can I stop? Can I stop you for yeah. a second just on that point? So I've heard that that before, where they're like, the, there is no computer even close to being as intelligent as the human brain. And I hear that, and I get like an ego boost from it, thinking that there's supercomputers that don't even come close to how intelligent I am. But then, you know, you, you see somebody like trip over their own two feet and you go, wait a second, that guy can't be as smart as a supercomputer. <laughs> so what does that actually mean when people say like the human brain is still significantly more powerful than artificial intelligence or a computer? Like, are we really, are our brains really that powerful? They're extremely, extremely powerful. Like the neural nets that are used for AI are just very, very pale imitation of what the brain is, right? Uh, mm. So on neural networks, if you will, right? Uh, if, you, if you take even modern machine learning today, right? For mm. an AI to recognize a cat, it needs to see not even hundreds of images of a cat. It needs to see hundreds of thousands, not millions of images of a cat before it understands really, okay, this is a cat, this is not a cat, right? Mm. I mean, show a human baby three times a cat and it just understood right there the concept of a cat, right? Uh, And don't get me wrong, uh, computer have become impressive. I mean, you've probably seen all, all, all the news around Alpha, AlphaGo and AlphaGo Zero, which beat the crap out of the world champion in Go. And AI are capable to do certain things in a superhuman way already today, right? But in general, the ability of, uh, of context reasoning, of general thinking, everything that a human can do is, is extremely, extremely impressive. You know, but, it, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I, I was going to say, but what we're pretty bad at as human is we tend to see progress through a linear curve, right? As the progress of artificial intelligence won't be an even progress, that's, the, that's a certainty, but also as we get better at it, it will be an exponential curve, right? So what I mean by that is right now we still far exceed computer, 
eventually computer will be better from a, a, a just you know computing capacity and this is going to happen and then they will far exceed us because they keep progressing while we were not right we're kind of limited by the organic limit and this is a point I, I, I really want to, to, to underline here is that you have uh, the computation element that's one element but also the learning element right now you know the two main method of learning if you will in machine learning is learning by seeing a large by seeing pattern in large quantity of information which we call supervised learning or learning by trial and error you're trying something you fail you try again something differently and so forth right these are also ways we human learn but we're not limited to those ways. We learn through thousands of different ways. I learned from just two ways, right? So, yeah. uh, but we're developing new technique for AI to learn every day. The point I'm making is it's absolutely not futuristic and inconfusible that within a few decades from now, we'll have computer that far exceeds our computing abilities mixed with computer that start to learn in very similar way than humans or comparable way than humans, right? And so this is, this is where the biggest impact is, right? Is that very likely during the lifetime of my daughter, mm -hmm. we will have computer that starts to equal, be comparable, I would say, to human intelligence and eventually exceeds it. And think about what that means. We humans have always been the main form of intelligence, the superior form of intelligence on Earth forever, right? With all the other, and you can see what sort of consequences it had to any other life form, right? We we kind of the ultimate predator, if you will, right? Absolutely. So having another form of intelligence that can rival us, if not exceed us, <laughs> this is this is a, a human level impact, even right? It's 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 tremendous and. I definitely think it won't be a neutral one. It'll be either a very positive one in the sense that, you know, we'll be in the 22nd century looking at the 21st century like, oh, people could die of illness back then, right? We could evolve into really seemingly better civilization. Or we can go literally insane. Maybe an AI that, you know, its prerogative is to preserve life on Earth has determined that the biggest threat of life on Earth is humans, and it'd probably be right, and then we're gone, right? Uh, so, so those are the sort of things packing can have. And sure, it won't be happening tomorrow, not even maybe in a decade or something like that, but it will very likely going to happen within this century, right? Uh, there was actually a survey that was done, I think it was in 2019, with 2,500 people in the AI community. And no one agreed on a date. That's normal. That's crystal balling prediction. But what was interesting is 70% of the people thought that an AGI was, was possible between 2040 to 2070, right? I think the median was 2055, right? So we're in two scales that are, you know, shorter time scale than the ultimate uh, civilization ending consequences of climate change, for example, right? So, yeah. so uh, can I, so can I, so can I, hold on, Brian, hold on, Brian, hold on, Brian, hold on, Brian, hold on. So <laughs> we, we, we're a platform that likes to educate people too, right? So for those, cause again, from a, from a AI standpoint, Mark Cuban says this a lot. He said he's very interested in AI in terms of what it can do because he understands it thoroughly. He named he named a couple of companies that really kind of understand it. But for those who don't know who's listening to this podcast, 
who don't know what artificial intelligence is. Can you explain to us what artificial intelligence is? Sec- and secondly, how do you see AI really impacting human? Because that's 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 what your that, that's what your company is. Because of course we have the theatrical versions of AI where like the mm-hmm. iRobots and you know they all of a sudden think like humans and do anything like and they can progress like humans. But based on since you're in the field itself, where do you see AI today? And let's just say fast forward 25, 30 plus years, how do you see it really impacting us to, to, to the point where it's almost, if we think about it today, you'll be like, there is no way AI is going to do that today based sure. on where it so, is now. Can I add, so we have a, a, third, can I add a third question? Oh, can I add ahead. a third question that lines up with that? Go, go, go. Uh, the idea of synchronicity, is that something that you believe in and I think that's the right word for it. Are you familiar with that concept? Synchronicity, or did you want to talk about singularity? Singularity, singularity, that's what it is. Yeah, singularity, thank you. That's what I thought. I think synchronicity is another interesting topic, but I think you meant singularity. Okay, Uh, but go ahead. uh, Yes, Uh, very likely. So yes, yes. But let me me go uh, one one element by element. So... uh, Let's start with uh, explain a bit what uh, AI is today and will become tomorrow. So AI today, uh, the whole artificial intelligence means any form of uh, intelligence that is artificial, right? So I would argue that, you know, a character in a video game is an AI, right? That's the very broad definition. However, nowadays in how it's been used in the past couple of years, uh, people just use for easy language the word AI to really mean machine learning, right? which are basically artificial intelligence that are capable to self-learn. They learn by themselves, right? Uh, So for example, if I take AlphaGo Zero, the way it learned is it was playing Go against itself, right? And it planned Go against itself for the equivalent of 6,000 years of uh, human mastery playing Go, right? But it did that in a matter of a few weeks to a few months based on it's just computing being used to that. And it became, and it exceeded human mastery in the game of Go, right? Uh, So that is an example of self-learning mechanism, right? Uh, The most common being used one is just AI or algorithm that are feeding out of very, very large data, right? So I took the example of, you know, an AI that recognized cat because it's been seeing millions and millions and millions of images of a cat. And now it's capable to recognize cat and it's capable to do it even better than a human. Like you can show it white fur and the human will be like, yeah, it's fur of an animal. And the AI will be like, no, that's a cat. I'm sure of it, right? And that's how you have today AI that are capable to detect cancer cells better than some of the most well-trained doctor can do, right? And mm-hmm. at the same time, AI has problems also. As if you feed it the wrong data, let's take again the example of a cat and you feed it only the image of white cats then it won't understand a black cat as being part of a cat, right? Because you didn't put that correctly into the data, right? So Mm. you need to be very careful in the sort of data that you're providing uh, uh, to the the AI, right? But that's, so today what we have are what we call narrow AI, which means AI that are capable to become superhuman, but on very specific and narrow tasks, right? Either filtering potatoes mm-hmm. or uh, mm-hmm. detecting, uh, uh, I don't know, waste in the ocean, things like that, which is great. It's super helpful, don't get me wrong. And this is why you have a, such a thriving industry around AI, right? Because mm-hmm. we, humanity, have always had some of the massive 
revolution, industrial revolution, we were able to basically get uh, 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 kind of uh, uh, an easier way to get cheaper manpower, right? And AI is ultimately that. It's it's not it's not industrialization that we've known in the 19th century, right? It's another one, but it's basically you can automate a task where before it was just fully human, right? Um, and so, uh, so that's what we see today out of AI. It has some very positive impact and has also some shitty impact, right? Like uh, you can see the YouTube algorithm, for example, is so much based around the reward or uh, trying to promote what we called uh, uh, attention for the human. So the more human click onto something, the more the algorithm take that as a success and keep on going, right? And so what does it do? It's, it's, it promotes things that attract us. And what are humans attracted by? Sensation and things are extreme. And it's a lot easier to generate to human strong emotion of fear and disgust than it is to generate you know, joy or, or some of emotion. I'm coming from the game industry, I know that, right? It's a lot yeah. easier to play with a player adrenaline than it is with emotion. So all of them exactly got that. And it's how, that's how you end up having then, you know, more than 10,000 people, if not more, that believe that the earth is flat right now, right? It's because of a sort of extreme content being promoted on social media, right? So mm -hmm. uh, like everything we invented, it doesn't have a positive or negative impact. AI is having both. It's detecting Alzheimer 10 years before a human can do it or detecting some fantastic cancer cell on one hand, and it's promoting disinformation and craziness on the other. So... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, the, that's the state of AI as of today, right? Uh, now, as I see uh, where I see the AI going on from, uh, uh, let's say, a decade point of view, right? Uh, I may take a let me take an example of uh, law. Not that I'm law specialist, but just you know to to have something that that people can can hum to. Okay. Today, you can have an AI that helps you build and generate easily. The template of a contract, like, you know, an NDA or classical thing that you used to do, right? Mm -hmm. so you don't have to go for a lawyer or thing like that. You just give kind of a few of my readers, I want a mutual NDA, approval of that, and poof, it will generate the text and capable to do that, right? That's pretty much state of the art as of today, right? If you ask me what an AI would be uh, between 10 and 20 years from, from now, I could see that assisting a judge, right? where the judge will be uh, uh, focusing probably a lot more on the human empathy and the human context, why the AI will be just sorting through every single form of related case that happened and give its own prediction and its uh, own proposal. And you'll get this way probably one of a, a fairer system, if you will, because the AI just makes sure that it's consistent mm. with the law and everything, and the judge makes sure that the human part is, is, is taken into account. That could be an AI, and not even two decades from now, but uh, a decade from now. Um, other example of AI is self-driving, right? So uh, today, your AI assists you by changing the lane. And if you're on the Tesla, for example, you already have other changing lane, but you still need to remain diligent, right? Mm -hmm. um, in a few years from now, you have AI that are capable to fully self-drive on highway, right? So you enter the highway, you go sleep in your car, play video games, <laughs> do whatever, <laughs> but you don't have to worry about anything. It's taking care of it, right? And probably in a decade from now, I don't want to do prediction, but somewhere between five and 15 years from now, you'll have 
AI that are capable to, to also self-drive within the city, which is another level of complexity, right? Uh, and what does that mean for everyone? Well, it's massive changes, right? I mean, the, the, do you know that the biggest job in North America in terms of representation the tip of, uh, is actually a truck driver? This is the most common job in North America. I think we have in the U.S. alone, there's something like four or five million truck drivers, mm-hmm. right? Uh, truck driving is like, why do you need a human there if you can kind of like, you know, a human needs to pee, needs to stop, you need to, I mean, they self-driving is the obvious solution there, right? So when is going to happen? I'm not sure it's probably going to be progressive. The, 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 the truck will drive itself. The human will supervise it eventually. Uh, the human will only drive a truck within the city. And when it goes on highway, let it go on, on self-mode with maybe a, someone to oversee the fleet. And yeah, eventually it's just like, why needing a human there, right? So we're talking massive impact. We are talking here of 5 million people just seeking another job, right? Uh, and so it's Absolutely. going to be highly, highly disruptive. And you create a shitload of new job and kill a shitload of old job also as well, all at a very, very rapid pace. So I think those are the most immediate impact of AIs. Now, if you start to resonate on the several decade point of view and you start to have AI that acquire uh, a general uh, uh, you know, general thinking abilities, if you will, things like that, now you're starting to deal with another form of intelligence with everything that entails, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and this is where me personally, and this is the reason why I created uh, the company of AI Redefined, is making sure that form of intelligence is aligned with human is of significant importance. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a, a, a type of, um, there is a bit of a, a easy thinking that most people have, which is uh, the notion of control that we will always be able to control it. We can press a button and shut down or, you know, cut it from electricity, things like that. And I think that this is a very stupid reasoning. Uh, for me, thinking you can control something that is eventually going to be smarter than you is like having a monkey that is super happy to have put a human in the cage, right? Uh, mm. uh, the human will figure out a way out of a cage that the monkey hasn't thought of, right? Uh, as simply as, hey, here's some banana, please open the door, right? And even in the sort of fantastic, let's imagine we're fantastic humans, we're capable to create the perfect cage. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what are the odds that out of the 15 billion humans we are will be uh, someone opens a, a, the cage, like, you know, out of yeah. curiosity, out of terrorism, out of uh, passion, out of uh, whatever reason the human will have. It's 99.9999999. And so uh, uh, what does that happen then? Like, you know, and how, how will an AI that has been in cage react after that? So I think that the only way forward that we have is figure out a way to create mutual dependency between humanity as a species and the AI that will be generating long-term, right? And this is the human AI alignment problem. So Dorian, I, I, I want to... Well, one, you did a fantastic job explaining all three of those points. So kudos and hats off to you because now you've cleared up AI a little bit for me and kind of give me something to look forward to in the future. Now, we want to shift to success. This is success fundamental. So we understand that everybody. So, for example, uh, Brian and I pretty much started this platform because if you go to anybody, regardless of who you know or a stranger, you ask them, do they want to be successful? 
pretty much everybody would say yes. Now it's all about how you de- how you define that. But every no one's going to say, "No, nah, I would. I don't want to be successful while I'm here on Earth." Nobody will ever say those words. But normally, people either don't know how to define it for themselves, or they don't know where to start. Whether they're in AI, whether they're in comedy, whether they're in business, it's all about. You have to have fundamentals. Um, or learn a few things in order for you to take that, you know, take your passion or whatever you're doing to the very next level. So for my question to you is, how does Dorian define success? Um, what what does that mean to him? And if with people who are who want to follow in your footsteps, whether it's tech or starting their own business, what fundamentally do you think, based on your experience, do they need to know before, you know, going down this journey? So I was very lucky because I think at the age of 16, 17, I had exactly that thinking. I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't frame it as success, but I was like, what really gets me going in life, right? Absolutely. And I tried to align a, a sort of quadrant of the things I really like doing, enjoy doing, with the things I really, uh, I'm really good at, if you will. Uh, and, and this was really my quadrant. I wasn't thinking about even making money back then or anything like that. Those were my two months. You could add from a pragmatic point of view is that you can earn something on it also as well. Uh, today, Dorian will add that. But back then, this is really how I was thinking. And I listed a lot of things that I liked doing and that I was good at. And I tried to see what sort of emotion is this face. And mm-hmm. I ended up with the conclusion that I really like, I had a sort of, you know, people, some people get uh, a lot of strong emotion by helping others, for example. And that's great for people who want to become doctor, nurse, or anything that is about helping others, right? Exactly. In my case, I was getting a lot of very positive emotion. And what really got me motivated going is uh, 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 we call it the, the artisan uh, uh, motivation is just building something, right? So we'll be building a video game, writing poetry, building a movie, things like that. Think about building something, crafting something is something I, I, I deeply enjoyed. Um, and not so much crafting my hand, it's really building a project, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so once I had that conclusion, it limited already my list of things I wanted to work on. Oh, okay, I can work in building movie, I can work in building games, I can work in building theater, maybe I'm doing poetry, maybe I'm doing book writing. And I had this sort of list of 20-ish element, right? And then, you know, I was extremely passionate about video game, really good at it, uh, uh, and and so it just very naturally just went into to video games. And so that's how I started the video game industry. And then when I started it, I had multiple goals. My first one was just to make a video game, then make a video game I like, then make a video game that is highly recognized. And then just every time I was reaching a goal, I was adding another one. You know, when I started to work at Bauer and I already started to have critical acclaim games, then it was like, I'm a huge passionate science fiction. I've been, you know, reading more than 300 science fiction books uh, during my teenage time. I'm like, yeah, I want to work on now a critically acclaimed science fiction game. And here, this is what happened, right? And so it was constantly always building. And now I want to do that, you know, in, in a city I like, like Montreal, something like that. And so that's how it progressed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, now, uh, so yeah, ultimately is what gets you going. And now what gets me going is just... Uh, the happiness of my daughters, to be honest. So anything that links to that is what gets me going. And so it's not any more that sort of artisan feeling I had back then. 100%. It seemed like you connected the two. It seems like at 16, you said 
two, what are you passionate about and what are you really good at? That's what, right. So you were good at where you one, you liked video games, but then two, you had a passion for the video game and you were able to, you know, use that talent to go into something for yourself. So that seems like that's where, I, like you said, what gets you going? So that's, that's, that's really, now you said something about passion that because season two is going to be about passion and you said something interesting. I really, I want to get your take on it because some of the conventional advice is to go after your passions, but then people rarely talk about falling out of love with that passion and pivoting to an, another thing. How did you, one, well, you may, you, you may not know that, the answer to this, but from a, from a passion standpoint, you said it started to fade because you said you don't, you didn't really care about building games anymore and you pivoted. What about those people who had a passion and the passion is fading, what what shift would you, um, what advice would you give them when they're trying to look for the next thing to do to continue to go on about life? Find time for yourself. Otherwise, you won't be able to think about it and understand is, is my passion going down because I don't care about that passion anymore or is it just going down because of other sources, right? Uh, so I didn't know what was happening. I felt, you know, it was maybe the company, maybe it was me, maybe it was other things, right? It took me to be able to have that sabbatical to be able to think about it, right? Uh, and I really believe that, you know, some people have passion that disappear, that sometimes can be reignited mm. and sometimes cannot because suddenly their life priority change, right? Because your objective and life party do change. I mean, probably when you have big events, like having kids, for example, and sometimes it's other things, right? Uh, or sometimes you discover another thing. You maybe travel to, uh, to Africa and realize that, wow, I didn't know poverty was that high. And then suddenly, poof, it changed entirely your perception of things, right? So uh, it's, 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 yeah, people have life-changing elements regularly. And so when it happens, it's just, yeah, it's difficult to recognize that it is that, but being able to take time for yourself and think, I think is really important. So Dorian, that artisan value that you were mentioning before, would you say that that is gone now or has it just, has that energy still remained, but now it's just being focused on different things? I think it still remains, but I would say it's overridden by my drive. So I know it, it faded a bit. I don't have the same drive to craft something or to build something. Uh, uh, I have now a drive to just make my daughters happy, <laughs> honestly. It's like my drive of being a dad and having daughters has overridden any other drives. Uh, so, 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 uh, so the other on one that, may still exist, but they just uh, they lot weaker emotion compared to uh, to uh, to to my daughters. That's an interesting point because I'm thinking to myself because uh, I'm a father of two boys myself, uh, four years old. Um, I wonder if, in a way, that is your new artisan project the the growth and development of your family. Or do you view them as totally different things? Could be, could be, they could be related. Uh, I I would say it's uh, the feeling is a bit different. It, it, there are things. I mean, you probably know it with your kids. But you, you, there are some really weird wiring, right? 
uh, I remember the first time, you know, when the baby came out, I was already full of love as an emotion, even though there is no rational reason for it. I mean, this right. is just a little creature that is just, you know, <laughs> crying and, you know, puking and things like that. I mean, it is, why, 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 why do I have that? There is something chemically happening in my body right, at that point, right. right? And then you have this sort of weird moment where your kid is learning something and you're so proud, right? And that thing of learning can be as simple as just peeing correctly, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I have my daughter started jujitsu now and uh, they chose that over dance, which is amazing as an activity. I didn't hope that will happen, but it did happen. And every time I see them just having jujitsu lesson, I'm just full of proud and everything, right? It's just like, I don't know. I cannot explain it. It's just weird. Uh, but yeah, those emotions just override the previous emotion I had, right? I, I, I think I could ship right now a game that uh, five or 10 million players are playing and it's being praised everywhere and it won't do the same thing to me than it used to 10 years ago. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? Well, so, reversely, my daughter does a shitty game, but a few people recognize, <laughs> like, yeah, right, it's good, and I'll be overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. So, Doran, we, we want to be respectful of, of your time. We know you have to go in 10 minutes. Brian, ask him those, those two bombs, and then, Doran, we're going to give you a platform and time to speak about, you know, your company and, you know, um, just tell people what you, about what you do and where they can find you. Yeah. All right. So, go so, ahead, Brian. Uh, so... So we have the two final one-two punch questions, but you can answer it as briefly as you would like. So first question is, Dorian, as a person that is financially successful, what are your views on money in general? We leave it intentionally vague. And the second is, does the idea of power play any role in your perception of success? So money, it's a very, very interesting uh, question. Um, Money was used to be always secondary to me. There is a multiple reason. First, I'm coming from, you know, third world going out of the embassy means a relatively wealthy family in the sense that, you know, I didn't have to worry about doing two jobs at the same time to pay my studies or things like this, right? Mm. Uh, but I've been obviously extremely independent uh, uh, once I started, you know, having my own job and everything, right? I was insanely lucky, to be honest, when I came out of my school and I started in the game industry in the early 2000s. I was the, the, the most worstly paid person in my entire classroom <laughs> because video game were not paid correctly. It's just, you know, small potatoes. It wasn't like the sort of $150 billion market than it is today, right? It was perceived as just, you know, a side job that you're doing like that. So, uh, didn't have necessarily a very well paid beginning. And then just by sheer luck, video game industry just exploded during the 2000 and kept and exploded. And then I ended up actually 10 years after probably being the most well paid person on my same promotion. So that changed during a decade. Uh, uh, it changed. Uh, so my mentality with money was always the following is manage it enough so you don't have to worry about it, right? So you put certain measure into place to have a bit of strategy in terms of how you're doing your saving or how you're managing your thing. And you do that once a year. And after that, you're not thinking about it. But you need to think of it a little bit so that money doesn't become something that, be, that is constantly a part of what you're thinking, right? Uh, so uh, in order to not be slaved by it, you need to pay a bit of attention, but not too much, right? Uh, now, it changed a bit because I was uh, very comfortable until I had kids, 
the family, house, everything. Uh, my, 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 my significant other used to work in psychology research, which is super interesting, but not paid really well neither. Mm. So uh, once, you, once you have to start to manage all of that, things become more complex. You need to pay a lot more attention to, to how you're spending your money. And I would say then starting a company, my God, is you're either young, you have nothing to lose, and you can give plenty of your time, or you're older like me and started a company when I had a family and things like that, and you better have a, a caution, right? A caution, a monetary caution, because I've been burning so much money in starting this business. It's crazy, right? Um, so my, my bank account and the company bank account were kind of the same thing the first year, and this was scary as hell. Because you, you see your, your bank account depleting mm-hmm. super, super fast. And oh, here I, I'm yeah. still in a kind of weird <laughs> moment where I'm, I, I'm not really saving or anything like that. Is most of my money is in the company, right, if you will. So company is successful, then, yeah, it's big, big payoff. Company is not. It's, well, too bad. Uh, so uh, so yeah. that's kind of a high risk, high reward of, uh, of entrepreneurship, right? Uh, and and then you know we live in a capitalistic society, so there is a significant more. Uh, that's how you accumulate massive wealth. A lot of people actually yeah. do startup for that probably reason. They just want to accumulate crazy wealth uh, because you do it by owning companies or owning building or both or things like this, right? It's just mm-hmm. the. Uh, I don't know if it's the uh, sad or happy realization of our society. I don't have any judgment on that. It's just what it is, right? Um, so, so today I would say I'm just, you know, barely managing on, you know, making sure that uh, everything I'm spending on family is kind of matching with income, and that's about it. All my saving sure. of the company, and so yeah, let's make the company successful. <laughs> got it. Got Absolutely. it. Well, it's a form of investing, then, investing then, in yourself. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. It's like what Brian and I are doing through through this platform, and and your perception on power, Dorian. Oh, uh, power! So the very first thing that happens to me, the first word that appeared in my head as you mentioned power, is uh, corrupting. Corrupting. Power is extremely corrupting. Yeah, uh, the uh, it's, it's 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 something I've been thinking quite a bit about. Uh, the more you get into position of powers the more you feel lonely. Uh, that's the first reality. I probably noticed that uh, when I was at Bioware. You reach a point where you're not even getting feedback or generous feedback from others because uh, hmm. because you have that power of you know letting them go, things like this, right? But, but more importantly, I've seen people, I met multiple people that I loved uh, in my life and I've seen changed one in high position of power, right? So mm-hmm. we're talking about handling 300 people, studios, or things like that, and how, 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 how having a lot of people of, or a lot of power over a lot of people can, can change how you think, right? And uh, I have tremendous respect for people who are capable to keep high level of integrity or remain themselves uh, despite being in, uh, in position of power because those people are, they exist, but they're extremely rare, right? It requires a very strong, strong personality. My personal take on it is to always make sure to share it. So when I started this company, mm. I never wanted to be the one-man show. So constantly surrounded by really good co-founders and making sure that basically 
you know, my way, so that's my style. I will never be a sort of Elon Musk style, you know, one person driving everything. Is I really like to drive things through a Biumvirate or Triumvirate, which is having, you know, two or three other one or two other people to constantly balance element and share a bit that power with. Then when it becomes an entire population, it's another thing, it's democracy, it's more complex, but uh, I, I'm talking, you know, from a company point of view, I, I, or, you know, even family, right? I'm, I'm in partnership with my wife and we basically manage everything together. I like that sort of element because it, it creates a balance, right? Sure. Uh, but, I love uh, that. but yeah, yeah. Uh, Thank power you. can be a corruptive force is kind of, uh, what came to mind? <laughs> okay. No, so Dorian, we don't. Well, Dorian, we don't you know, again, yeah. you're a busy man. Go ahead. Oh, it, <laughs> I was going to say exactly what you were about to say. Delay. Right. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> well, Dorian, listen, we know that you're a, a a busy man, so you know, for our people out there, what 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 is what is your company? What what do you do, and how people can find you? Yeah, so our company is named AI Redefined. Uh, you can type AIredefined.com or AI-R.com and you can find information on our company. And uh, what we do is we have basically built the very first uh, uh, AI training orchestration platform that allows you basically to do AI training with a lot of different AI agents, but more importantly, with human envelope integrated to it. So basically, I had to make it very short, is you can have an AI that trains alongside a human, which mm. most methods doesn't allow you to do. Usually AI are, are trained by a large quantity of data, like I mentioned, or training by themselves at going at superhuman speed. They're not learning directly from human, right? And this mm. is what I care a lot about because I believe that AI that are being trained directly with human helps quite a bit with a human AI alignment problem, right? Yes. Uh, and uh, and so, yeah, we developed that AI training platform, if you will. Uh, that was kind of the first four years of the company has been entirely focused on that. Uh, most of our clients are very much in uh, uh, the aerospace uh, industry right now, mostly because they have access to high simulation and, uh, and a lot of AI talent. Uh, but we, we're starting to broaden and have plenty of application that are outside of that industry. Uh, we are also right now fundraising our Series A, so very happy about this. It's kind of a big moment for a company because uh, we're 15 person right now and will eventually grow to becoming in the 20, 30 in terms of size. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's the, the quick gist of it. Congratulations on your Series A funding. Well, and how do yes, people find you, Dorian? Yet. We're fundraising right now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so just just go to ai-r.com or ai-redefine.com, and uh, and if you're interested, yeah, you can contact me directly. Well, thank you, Dorian. Absolutely, Dorian. Thank you. We know we are, you're a very important man. You know you have one one more minute. We want to audience do not worry about everything. Everything that Dorian said will be in the show notes. Um, thank you again for uh, tuning in and we'll see you all next week. This concludes another episode of Success Fundamentals. We hope you found today's discussion useful to your life in some way. Please remember to like, comment, and subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook.